Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Progress After Dark. I'm John saying Welcome to the entertainment powerhouse that is... Tell me everything. Brothers and sisters, the pride is back. Thank you for joining us. For the next three hours, you can join us at 866-997-4748, because we're sort of like that friendly evening cable news show, except we go on for three hours, and we'd like to hear from you. When does Rachel Maddow let you weigh in with your thoughts or threats or bad jokes? And my brothers and sisters in this beautiful, complicated country, this glorious, noble experiment that is America, this this ignoble, ugly experiment that is America, there is a lot to break down, there's a lot to process, there's a lot to mock, and there's a lot to try to make sense of. So for the next couple hours, we're going to have some of our favorite guests. Natalia Reagan will join us for another edition of Shit You Just Can't Say. Sorry, liberals, but it turns out St. Patrick's Day is a big time for common expressions that are culturally insensitive. And you can go ahead and use this to terrify your conservative co-workers. Theologian Diana Butler-Bass will be joining us. One of my favorite writers about Christianity and hypocrisy and history to talk all about, well, uh, Women's History Month and feminism in the Bible. And of course... Very bad behavior by very conservative Christians. Uh, you know when you're when you're young and yet you, you you look at daylight savings time and yet you make fun of those people who complain about it because come on it's 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 daylight it's an hour what do you what are you people whining about daylight savings time it's one hour people you so, so what why yeah and then somehow seemingly a day or so later you're that older person screaming at strangers on the street i can't fucking sleep i have my sleep my, my, my entire clock's off i feel you if you're just joining us the 2023 republican party platform is uh it's pretty simple actually um their 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 platform for the new year they've revised it uh it's it's Trans people are threatening our entire way of life. Drag queens kill more children than AR-15s. January 6th was fine because there's clips and anything we don't like is woke. That's that's pretty much it. Happy Pi Day, everyone. That's just like 420 day, except at 314, we meet behind the school and do math. Everybody, this weekend I'm going to be in Lenox, New York for the Berkshire Mountain Comedy Arts Festival with our good friend Kevin Bartini. Tonight, our executive producer is the great Chris Housel from South Carolina. Thea Harper produces this show from Brooklyn. I think I got everything, all the announcements, all the complaints about daylights. Man, it's vicious this year. Let's get to it. Let's do a show. We can't wait to hear from you. Republicans, your lie game is weak. Blaming minorities for entirely white-owned bank meltdowns? Tucker finds a way. Yes, folks, are you ready for the, the craven 
corporate stooge denialism that is woke banking. Denial is kind of going to be the theme of the Republican Party for the next two years. But you guys know what woke is. It's an all-purpose bigot dog whistle to cover up all the things your father and grandfather could say in the open, could say in the workplace about women or immigrants or, or, or Jews or black people or gay people or trans people, whatever hateful shit our bigoted forefathers could easily say in public. But now, because we've tried as a society to be more, oh, what's that word? Christian. Uh, it's less accessible to be openly bigoted. So woke means all the racist shit you can't say anymore and you wish you could. That That's really what it means. It's an all-purpose dog whistle. If you don't like women wanting equality, you don't like these woke feminists. If you don't like African Americans, then you'll just talk about you don't like all this wokeness. If you don't like LGBT people, you this woke agenda. The all-purpose dog whistle. And here's the proof. My favorite thing to do. I do this when I'm on other people's shows and I'm debating this issue with our right-leaning brothers and sisters. Ask them to define what the word means. And you can try this. Try it with your debate partners on Twitter or who that guy from high school you debate with on Facebook late at night. Try it with your coworker or your racist cousin. Ask him, well, what, what do you mean when you say woke? Here is uh, Brianna Joy Gray, and uh, she's talking to conservative author and pundit Bethany Mandel, and she does it. And it shows exactly why it's important, because no two right wing people have the same definition for the umbrella term for universal hate. And Americans consider themselves very liberal and probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when, when well, we talk about What does that mean to you? Could, could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that... Um, I... This is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, it's, it's hard to explain in a 15-second soundbite. Well, yeah, look, now, that's beautiful. I mean, Chris, thank you for getting that clip. That is just the best part about it is that uh, Brianna Joy Gray never helps her. She lets the silence sit there. Oh, I love when that happens on the radio. Oh, oh, it's so painful and uncomfortable. You almost want to help her out, but you shouldn't. Long ago, long ago, let's go back in time before woke became the de facto anti-slur before the Republican Party was trying to hide behind another bank collapse. After the 2008 financial crisis, Congress passed something called the Dodd-Frank Bill, and it was designed to protect you and me and all consumers in this economy and the guarantee that big banks could never again get so powerful they could wreck our entire economy and ruin so many lives. And the top 0.01% hated this law. It might be the greatest thing Obama did, because you could tell how much the people who own this country, the Wall Street executives, their lobbyists, their lawyers, their Congress puppets, they hated this law. They spent gazillions of dollars trying to destroy Dodd-Frank. And they lost, and they've spent the last 15 years trying to weaken it any way they could. So in 2018, 
the Republican-led Congress combined forces with a good chunk of Democrats, 17 in the Senate, to pretty much gut Dodd-Frank, to reduce the regulatory burden, as they say, on small and mid-sized banks like Silicon Valley Bank. At the time, the Congressional Budget Office and many others were warning this could increase the risk of a financial crisis. But again, that didn't work. And they didn't need to worry about it because 15 years later, they'd have the word woke. And again, I want to stress it was support from both parties that did this. Democratic senators joined with Republicans and Donald Trump signed a law to roll back very important parts of Dodd-Frank. So the bank crashed last week and the Federal Reserve and the FDIC and the Treasury Department are all announced on Sunday. You know, we're going to keep things going. The financial system's going to be fine. We are not going to reward the investors, but we will make sure that everyone who is a, a depositor gets their money back. And that was really cool. They'll make them all whole. No customer would lose access to their money. This was an example of the White House so far doing everything right. Again, it was a Trump policy that Democrats helped with that allowed this sort of thing to happen. So it seems like the White House has cleaned it up really well. And instead of celebrating that, well, we got to turn to the word woke. Now, today, we know that the government is going to open an investigation into the Spanx collapse. And legal experts are saying this investigation could be looking into insider sales by some of the executives in Silicon Valley Bank in the weeks before it failed. Don't forget, on Friday morning, before the big fire sale, they gave out all their annual bonuses. So that brings us to Congress and right-wing media. They could talk about why we need more corporate responsibility. They could talk about why greed is a threat to good capitalism, but they can't do that. They can't tell the truth about it. So they've got to play the blame game. And this time they have gone fucking sci-fi. They have jumped the shark. They are now blaming the collapse of the bank on the bank's diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. And that, that, that it invested in some environmentally friendly businesses. They failed because they tried to go woke. Here's a clip of Tucker Carlson, <laughs> the man who chews up thoughts for right-wing people and feeds it to them like they're a baby bird, explaining that minorities are the reason. And, of course, also ESG, policy and investing. Tucker, take it. But that's not the end of the story. In some ways, it's the beginning. So here's the part where you pause and ask yourself a question that too few seem to be considering right now. They're doing this. What are they going to get in return? something for sure. Remember that after 2008, the Obama administration, Eric Holder, swooped in and imposed DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion standards on the entire <laughs> financial sector. And that's one of the main reasons our big banks are now increasingly incompetent and also one of the reasons what? Americans are so divided by race. What? Ideologues used the 2008 bank bailout to kill American meritocracy. Okay, let's That's kill it right there. Thank step. you. So, so Most important. Anytime Republicans use the term divided by race, what they really mean is it really pissed off all the racists. And what Tucker's saying there was that because the banks were trying to be less racist, and he's clearly inferring because they hired more non-white people, there's a crisis in competency. He said it. Ron DeSantis chimed in. He said on Fox, this bank, they're so concerned with DEI and politics and all kinds of stuff. I think it really diverted from them focusing on their core mission. I've been working on my Ron DeSantis voice, Chris. I think I've nailed it. I've got all the subtleties at this point. Uh, Josh Hawley, useless sack of pus, posted a, uh, a tweet that said, uh, SVB, too woke to fail. 
On Fox News, Harris Faulkner said, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, top executives pushed woke programs. You get a check, you get a check, you get a check, and we'll talk woke out the door. That's crazy town. This is how they're selling it to stupid white people, folks. That's how they do their things. That's what Fox News is for, to sell the propaganda to gullible white folks who hopefully aren't so old they're drooling on the clicker. Donald Trump. Remember Donald Trump when he first got into office, the first thing he said he was going to do was do a big number on the Dodd-Frank Act, which, again, the Dodd-Frank Act actually forced banks to be more conservative in investing depositors money. And the next year he bragged. He bragged that he had helped kill Dodd-Frank. And now he's blaming corporate wokeness as well. They're literally blaming the failure of a white run bank on minorities because they know enough Americans will accept that and like it. And if enough Americans believe it, if one third of Americans believe it, that makes it real. Donald Trump, by the way, is now also blaming Mike Pence for the violence on January 6th. Yeah. So that's the level of denial there. Now, some Republicans know this is complete, embarrassing bullshit. Uh, Republican Study Committee Chairman Kevin Hearn allegedly told Republican members of Congress the other night on a conference call they should stop going on TV and tweeting about the situation if they're uninformed on what actually went down at SVB. No one's going to listen to him. Wall Street Journal? Like... (laughs) It's incredible. We talk about systemic racism, and then they just prove how right it is. Wall Street Journal's Andy Kessler wrote on Sunday, Was there regulatory failure? Perhaps. But another important vector of the bank's failure, he alleges, was hiring the wrong people. The wrong people. They're trying to blame this on black folks. In their proxy statement, the bank notes that... uh, 91% of their board is independent, 45% are women, and they have one black. They have, that's what they call them, one one black and one LGBTQ plus and two veterans. That's their diversity. One black person on their board. They're trying to say that, that literally they were distracted by diversity standards. There was so much need for diversity that we couldn't avoid this. If only there were 12 white men running this bank and we weren't so worried about having one black, one LGBTQ plus and two veterans. Folks, here's some shocking news. In 2008, when the major banking institutions ripped us all off and committed a financial train wreck and they all walked away clean, it was all white men. It was all white men. I be willing to say all white men of a certain age i'd be willing to say overwhelmingly heterosexual white men of a certain age now it happens with another bank they're trying to do this so let's watch what tim scott has to say in the next few days because tim scott is uh the ranking republican on the senate banking committee he's not as stupid as people who believe tucker carlson So what's he going to do? Well, he's blaming it on Joe Biden for corporate cronyism. But here's the truth. Are you ready? Because you're not going to get it on Fox. There is no evidence whatsoever that Silicon Valley Bank's sustainable investing contributed in any way to its collapse. There is no evidence that their diversity hiring initiatives contributed to their collapse. Experts instead are saying, you know what it was? Uh, They had a lot of holdings in U.S. Treasuries and the Federal Reserve had interest rate hikes because of inflation. And so while the Fed was raising the interest rates, the bond holdings became less valuable. 
the bank was selling their treasuries and mortgage-backed securities at a loss, and that scared people, and that's why $42 billion was pulled out from the bank on Thursday. But even more so, it's greed. It's always greed that does this. And they were investment managers at Silicon Valley Bank who did a lot of nice woke things, I'm sure. They cared about the environment. They cared about pollution. Nothing but respect. But they chose to invest in long-term treasury bonds because there was higher interest rates of long-term treasury bonds when interest rates were very low. That's the greed. They wanted to make more money for the investors. Okay, that, that makes sense to you and me. That's very aggressive for a bank to do. Banks have to be conservative. Banks have to maintain enough short-term investments that they can cash stuff out to cover cash outflow. But what they had done was long-term U.S. Treasury bonds. They couldn't do anything with this for 10 years. They knew in 10 years they'd get a lot of capital. They'd be flushed. But because they aggressively invested in these long-term T-bills, just for the investors, not to keep the depositors' money safe, but to keep the investors' investment long-term flush, they ran out of money on hand to cover all their outflows, and then they had no cash. And they had to cash in their long-term treasury bills at a $1.8 billion loss. It's that simple. They did something risky because they're not being regulated. The DEI program was very positive. It's a very nice thing they did. It has nothing to do with their collapse. The problem wasn't too much private regulations. The problem was there wasn't enough public regulations. Okay, now in the time I took to explain that, imagine what they told you on Fox. There's a poll last month by Emerson College and found that Trump is winning 72% support among Republicans with a high school degree or less education. Do you get where we're going with this, folks? It doesn't matter the word salad I just gave you to explain what actually caused this bank to fail. They're going to tell the Republicans in their media outposts that it was because of diversity. It's because of diversity. It's the old affirmative action argument all over again. It's not a meritocracy, as Tucker said. They're giving shit away to brown people, and that's why the bank failed. And 72% of Republicans with high school degree or less already support Trump. Folks, going after wokeness to blame a bank collapse, that's kind of like going after Iraq when your country was attacked by 15 Saudis. Let me just give you a quick, uh, a quick little clip here. Uh, the other big news is Joe Biden and what's happening in Alaska. I want to play really quickly Senator Lisa Murkowski, Republican, celebrating the ConocoPhillips Willow oil drilling project that just opened up in Alaska and thanking Joe Biden, who promised many times that there would be no drilling in Alaska. Here's Murkowski thanking President Biden for his help. For them, this is significant and real in a, in a meaningful way. It means everything to them in terms of, of health and wellness and life expectancy. As we have seen the benefits of the resources that come to these areas that flow from the oil, we have seen an absolute increase in life expectancy because of the quality of life that then can come with with decent housing, with decent health care, with access to, to, to food and resources. What, we ha what has been seen up north has been consequential. And so this, this was an issue 
that when presented to, to the administration, when the Alaskan voices were allowed to be heard, the administration listened, and I thank them for that. I thank them for allowing, allowing those voices to be heard. Allowing those voices to be heard. Working people. Jobs, jobs, jobs. It's bullshit, folks. As George Carlin told us, it's bullshit and it's bad for you. It's all money to help sustain a way of life that could kill all life on Earth. And Joe Biden's going to run for re-election, and that's why he did it. It's okay. I'll still support him, but we're not going to play dumb about it here at SiriusXM Progress. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Latest CNN poll, 40% Trump, 36% DeSantis. And those two guys hate each other so much, they could both sing lead in the Eagles. I am so excited to welcome our next guest back to the show. She is one of my favorite guests. Anytime we can get her, I am very, very fortunate. I've actually been able to interview this wonderful author and theologian in person in SiriusXM's Washington, D.C. studios. Diana Butler-Bass is an author, a speaker. She's a scholar who specializes in American religion and culture. You may have read her stuff or seen her on USA Today, Time, CNN, Fox, CBS, PBS, NPR, The Washington Post. She's written 10 books, including Christianity, for the rest of us, the award-winning Standing Against the Whirlwind, and a book I really loved, uh, Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. In honor of Women's History Month, I thought, let's talk a bit about where you actually find feminism in the Bible. Diana Butler-Bass, welcome back to SiriusXM. Hello. Well, it's, it's great to be with you, and what a fun thing to start Women's History Month with. Well, I thought so. I mean, I always tell people Jesus himself is really the number one feminist in the Bible. He's the only one who, you know, really stands up for, for women's rights when it came to uh, Old Testament Moses divorce law. And and again, Jesus, not really big on uh, curbing women's reproductive freedoms in any way. Not a priority for this guy. No, I can't think of a verse in the Bible where it actually says that. <laughs> nope, nothing, nothing. Nothing at all. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really uh, 
misunderstood, let's put it that way, about uh, the subject of women and the Bible is the idea that somehow it's only contemporary feminism that's led to having women pastors. And the, the truth of it is, is throughout the Middle Ages, uh, women were using feminine imagery for God, uh, a lot of nuns and medieval mystics. It was a very common practice, not only among nuns, but also among uh, some pretty famous monks like Bernard of Clairvaux. So there's always mm -hmm. been this sort of thread throughout the history of Christianity that saw these feminine uh, images of God in scripture and th that helps to elevate the status of women, you know, even in a hierarchical and patriarchal society. But you get up to the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s and Protestant women really started arguing for some authority in the church. And the very first ever biblical feminist tract was written in mm -hmm. 16, 1666 by uh, the wife of the founder of Quakerism, a woman by the name of Margaret Fell. And I love the title of her book. It's called Women's Speaking Justified, Proved, and Allowed of Scriptures. And so the... <laughs> <laughs> it's like the whole thing is right there in the title. So, so this whole attempt to sort of look at scripture and to understand feminine images of God and to try to understand the place of women within the Christian tradition, it stretches back incredibly far um, in the history of Christianity. I'll say, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this last week, Diana, when we saw the Southern Baptist Convention eject five churches, including Pastor Rick Warren's incredibly popular celebrity Saddleback Church, and they were ejected for the grave crime of ordaining women. I, I I grew up with this in the Vatican as well. No knob, no job. And to me, it was always, there were three women that went everywhere with Jesus and his apostles. But the men who wrote the Bible said, oh, it wasn't 15 apostles. It was 12 apostles and three groupies. The women are the only ones who don't bail on Jesus when he gets executed. The women are the first ones he returns to when he comes back in the story. But boy, throughout history, they have just found so many bullshit spiritual justifications to make people of faith believe that God made 51% of the population unfit for priesthood. Yeah, it's... Uh kind of sad that the first person to ever actually preach the gospel, Jesus is risen from the dead, was Mary Magdalene. <laughs> so here's a woman <laughs> who, who who is the first person who greets Jesus in the garden in the gospel of John. And he says, uh, go off and tell everybody what you've seen. And Mary runs off and, and tells the, the boy disciples uh, what's gone on. And they don't believe her, <laughs> of course. And so they have to go and see it for themselves. But she's the first person to ever uh preach that Jesus has been raised. And uh, just this wow. past week uh, in Catholic and um, liberal Protestant churches, the reading was a very famous story, the woman at the well, where Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman yeah. who is an outsider, an outcast. And it's the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with any person in the New Testament is with this woman. And at the end of the conversation, um, she gets... So she's so overwhelmed by what Jesus has told her 
she runs off into the village that is nearby and she tells everyone she meets, I, I met a man who who told me everything about my life. And the the sort of follow-up sentence is not written there is, and he still loves me, or he loves me anyway. Mm. And it's by her witness that um, we're told about two or three verses later, the disciples then show up in the village and they convert the village, but it's only because the woman has first told the story. So there are right. these two stories that are really prime stories in the Gospel of John, uh, which is a gospel that evangelical Christians love to use, that are both stories. The first evangelistic story, the woman at the well, and the first real apostle story, a person proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, they're both women. How much of this, Diana, is is this one line of St. Paul saying that wives must be subservient to your husbands and everyone deciding that that matters more than anything the characters of God or Jesus say in the whole book? That is exactly right. That's the 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 interpretive key uh, for people who don't believe that women should hold any kind of authority in the church or family or society is that that wives should submit to their husbands. And uh, it's. You brought up that thing that happened with the Southern Baptist Convention and Rick Warren this this past week. And what's interesting about Rick Warren is that he, for many years, believed that. He just believed that mm -hmm. idea that wives submit their husbands. And that's been extrapolated oh, yeah. in Southern Baptist circles to mean all women submit to all men. Mm -hmm. And so... Good old Pastor Rick. Um, he's an interesting guy. I actually kind of like him. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> he, I mean, I really it's 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 kind of funny. We talk sometimes on Twitter, and uh, he actually reread these scriptures, and he came to the conclusion that he had been reading through the wrong sort of passages, and different passages began to convince him of women's ordination. And so instead of reading wives oh. submit to your husbands, um, he talks about how this verse in the in Paul, uh, another verse in Paul, Galatians 328. Isn't right. that good for an Episcopalian? I could actually quote the exact I know the verse. one you're going to say too. I know the one you're going to say. Go ahead. Hit me. Okay, well, I want to hear you say. I can play name that psalm. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, there is neither there is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free in Christ. Is that the one? That's the one. And so Pastor Rick got convinced that that was actually the more significant verse. And if you take in Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free. And I love the very specific way it says it at the end of the verse. It says uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free and male and female. And so literally, mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul dissolves the category of gender. Yes. <laughs> the most Galatians. conservative guy in the New Testament has the greatest argument for transgender acceptance by these so-called Christians. Yeah. So not only is it an argument for the equality of men and women, but it's actually a door that you can walk through to uh, talk about non-binary and trans stuff and and. I just think it's amazing that that verse becomes if you if you privilege that verse, then the New Testament opens up differently. And yes. um, apparently that's what Pastor Rick did. And once you have that verse in place, you go back and you look at these stories like the two I was just talking about in the Gospel of John, 
Um, there are myriad, there are dozens of other stories about the way that Jesus treated women. The New Testament begins to not look like a very sexist document. It begins to and, look like yeah. a feminist one. Thank you. My God, I love this conversation. I talk about this all the time, but not as eloquently as you. And I think of this when I see the declining numbers in the church and the declining numbers of people who consider themselves adherents to any one religion. I, I've believed for a long time that the church needs women a lot more than women need an organized church. And I especially think that when I look at South Carolina and see over a dozen legislators now have gotten on board with this bill that they hope to become a law that any woman who commits abortion can be put to death by the state for murder. Diana, this is where American Christianity is at. Jesus never mentioned abortion, specifically came out against the death penalty, but our conservative Christians hear that as saying, we're so pro-life, we'll kill you. Yeah, it's never been about pro-life. It's always been about controlling women's sexuality. Boom. And uh, that's just, that's the reality of it. When you force women into birth, that endangers their lives no matter how that happens you are not making a case for life you're making a case against women and um it's it, it was unnerving this week to see that and then there was this crazy twitter blow up all this week theologically anybody who was anywhere on christian twitter saw it happening is someone every three or four months brings up the passage or the, the story from the Old Testament about David and Bathsheba. I saw this all over social media all weekend. People were having fights about this. Yes. And the, and the fight is that most liberal Christians, for the last 35 years or so, in most seminaries, that story has been taught as David taking advantage of Bathsheba. Uh, mm. David using his power to extort sexuality from a woman who has less privilege. And so what do we call that? Don't mean to trigger anybody, but we literally call that rape. And yeah. so a lot of times now when you hear that story preached on in churches, they will use those specific words or they'll dance right up to the edge of it and talk about this story as being a violation of a woman's body, as being uh, a kind of Me Too story with Bathsheba. And so so this comes up. Because they can't one. come out and face it. They, they have to be in denial about what the story really is. Yeah. And the way it ties into the thing in South Carolina is that there was a whole group of Christian nationalist men who got on and said it wasn't rape because if Bathsheba had been raped, she would have either killed herself or allowed herself to be killed before she would let David touch her. And so that means she consented. Right. And so because a godly, a godly woman, a, god, a truly godly woman would have had to make them murder her not to survive there. So she had to be evil or else it was just, we're getting the story wrong, but either way they can't come out and say our word. That is correct. And, and they have to believe that a woman would do violence to herself in order to preserve her own purity. And so to me, I mean, that's just the most, I mean, can, I wouldn't want one of those guys being my pastor and counseling me. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, can you imagine the kind of pastoral advice they give to women who might be in a bad marriage or something? Yeah. Oh, just, you know, just to submit. It'll be fine. You're a godly woman. I mean, I, I think I saw that very advice on uh, what was it? Under the Banner of Heaven, that I that bet. terrible show that was on yeah. Netflix. Um or, or Hulu, but it, but it all it, it all keeps coming down to authoritarianism. I mean, all yes. of it, and and the treatment of women, the treatment of minorities, and if I may, um, this sudden evangelical adoration for mass murderer Vladimir Putin, I, Diana. I'm trying to understand what kind of propaganda these folks have an IV hooked up to. That after all these years of Putin just invading countries, the same people who would call you an appeaser. Because they didn't want America to invade Iraq illegally are now saying, oh, Hitler can take Poland. Why not? It's not our fight. Well, he's a man. Putin is a manly man. He yeah. stands up. You know, he he'll conduct a war for a Christian nation. I think that the intersection between misogyny and patriarchy obviously is incredibly clear here. And it just manifests itself in authoritarianism. And uh, there was this little... There was not a little. It was actually a very significant survey that was recently done on Christian nationalism. And there's a whole section on gender in it. Yeah. Um, and, and so there were four questions that they pulled out as trying to identify how Christian nationalists understand gender tied to patriarchy. One, in a truly Christian family, the husband is the head of the household and the wife submits to his leadership. Seventy two percent of Christian nationalists agreed with that. <sighs> Two, American society improves when women have more career and educational opportunities. 31% of Christian nationalists disagreed with that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this, one, this one is one I love. You'll like this one, John. <sighs> These days, society seems to punish men for acting like men. And a whopping 67% of Christian nationalists agreed with that. Victim, then, victim, victim. And then finally, society as a whole has become too soft and feminine. 69% of Christian nationalists agreed with that. And <sighs> These people are going to hate Jesus when they get to that part of the book, Diana. When they finally get to the <laughs> New Testament part of the book, they're going to hate that woke snowflake. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What kind of guy would do that? You know, mm -hmm. pick up that rock and hit those people in the head. Um, and so you can you can see why people who have views like this would love an authoritarian leader like Vladimir Putin. I get it. I get it. Yeah, it, I get it's it. the misogyny and authoritarianism hand in glove. And this is what we've got right now in a significant portion of I hate saying it, but it's a significant portion of American Christianity. And is it true that this PRRI study, Diana, released data that shows that there's been a, a three-point gain in the nuns, in, in people who have no religious affiliation at all, that now it's it's 27% of the whole population, which is up substantially from the turn of the century? Uh, yeah, it, it surprised me how much it went up, although it shouldn't surprise me, because if this is what people are running into in their churches, yeah, that, then why not leave? And the sad thing, of course, is that there are uh, churches that have fought long and hard uh, to be places of genuine equality, of real justice, have worked at the front lines of racial concerns, done everything, in effect, right. 
or at least you know as well as you can do it and be human yeah. being and be be in an institution but right now the big public megaphone belongs to christians who have these offensive and horrible views and just who aren't afraid uh, to be parading them politically, you know, in public and um, sort of painting all of us with this horrible, horrible label. It's just, and if I was watching from the sidelines and thinking about be joining a church, I, I would think that all churches were just crazy because of I this. agree. I agree. And that's why I'm so grateful for your work, because we all know nice religious people and we all wonder why they don't ever get on TV. It's only the psychotic douchebags who are good for ratings. Diana Butler Bass, I'm always honored when you will lower yourself and join our vulgar burlesque here on the show. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Well, people can certainly see me on Twitter kicking around Christian nationalists, which is always a fun thing to do. Um, but the other best place is to sign up for my Substack newsletter called The Cottage, which is it's where great. I'm doing my best work right now. I get it every day and I love it or whenever you put it out and I love it. Diana, thank you so very much. Please come back very soon to talk about Christian nationalism, please. Uh, it was great to be with Thank you. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. This is SiriusXM Progress. Uh, right now, I am so thrilled to welcome back to the show anthropologist, primatologist, actor, writer, producer, host, comedian, one-time dancing McNugget on TV, the great Natalia Reagan. You've probably seen her as an all-star host for Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk. Every now and then, we're lucky enough to get her to join us to enlighten us with another installment of Shit You Can't Say. Natalia, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for being had. Happy birthday, by the way. I know oh, you had one this you. week. Thank you. I, I, uh, you know, I'm another year older, a little, hopefully a little bit wiser. We'll see. TBD. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very glad to have you. Uh, as you know, St. Patrick's Day is coming uh, here Let's in New York. It's a, it's a very sacred day for us. It's when uh, Irish American men or Scottish men who think it's the same thing uh, from yeah. Jersey and Brooklyn and Long Island come to the city and selflessly donate their vomit and urine to our sidewalks all night long. Uh, it's really a wonderful time to be in Manhattan. It's such a sacrifice they make, you know, that's really kind. So many oh, bodily yeah. fluids they just distribute. It's, uh, you know, we owe it to them. Yeah, they, they have screaming fights with their girlfriend. St. Patrick's Day is named after the patron saint of uh, driving all the outer borough douchebags back out of Manhattan. Um, right. And it's, it's, it's also a great day when, uh, when, when, when uh, Irish Americans celebrate their Irish heritage by wearing Scottish kilts that are made in China. I, I love that part. But I'm sure that there's probably some shit we really shouldn't say anymore when it comes to Irish heritage in America. I mean, look, the Irish, the Irish didn't always have it easy, right? I mean, in no. New York right now, you're okay. You're doing just fine. You got like Patty McMurphy's pub every, you know, two blocks. Uh, but yes, there was a time when they were not treated so well. And there's a term that we use. Uh, we, you hear it in a lot of different songs, a lot of different, uh, you know, media, the paddy wagon. Basically, a police car that picks you up and takes you away. Well, the paddy wagon, uh, the paddy refers, it's, it's, it was 
a, a, a term that the Irish used to call themselves a patty. Yes. Um, you know, but it was co-opted by those that didn't like the Irish as, oh, it's another patty. It's a derogatory term. And uh, th- there are a couple different ideas of where the origin of patty wagon came from. But patty was used as a derogatory term first. And then when oh, yes. they started getting arrested in, in swaths, uh, it is said that during the 1840s and 1850s, uh, nearly half uh, the folks getting arrested were the Irish. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, then that wagon picking them up was called the paddy wagon. There's another theory that also it was the draft riots of 1863 during the Civil War. They basically created a draft and the the government uh, had a loophole, an exception. If you had three hundred dollars, which is equivalent to about five five thousand five hundred now, you could buy yourself out of the draft. A lot of Irish didn't have that kind of money. And yeah. so they uh, they rioted. They uh committed some pretty atrocious crimes uh especially to black citizens in uh, new york city there were a lot of lynchings it was a it was a horrible basically insurrection and uh there's the idea that paddy wagons came from that particular event because so many were taken to jail so again uh you know I don't necessarily this is not one of the most egregious shit you just can't say. Right. We've we've come up against a lot worse. But this is one that maybe you should reconsider or at least know the history. Right. Well, at least well, it's a cool. He, yeah. Let, let me ask you about it, because, you know, yeah. Patty has a has a, a, a long and, and ugly history. And uh, God, if you listen to enough Pogue songs, you'll hear Shane McGowan complaining about Patty works on the fucking railroad. Um, <laughs> and of course, Patty Wagon is part of uh, our culture. We grew up with this expression. I was I, I know that this phrase has been in songs by Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kendrick Lamar, Will Smith, Meek Mill, TLC, uh, Martin Luther King says paddy wagon he he mentions that phrase in his i've been to the mountaintop speech the last speech he gave before before he was murdered do we spell it as one word or two words that's my that's my first question is that's it, a great question it, i, I yeah. it's been done both ways it's also been hyphenated if you're into that ah, so i yeah. mostly have seen it with a, a hyphen um but yeah so i think it, it it's got you know there's also by the way there's paddy whack if you're familiar whack. with paddy whack knick knack paddy whack because that, that's because all irish are people who like to drink and brawl right that's what paddy whack mm-hmm. means yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, you know whacking of the Irish, uh, racking each other, and uh, yeah, it's uh, so so. There's a lot of stereotypes. Uh, some can say there's truth in stereotypes, but maybe those stereotypes have gone the way of the dodo, and we don't need to continue them on, right? Let's uh, let's alleviate. Well, I mean, like the draft riots, the draft riots you mentioned are amazing because there was so much poverty and the Irish were treated so terribly and they were just rounded up. And I mean, better writers than me have discussed how the way the way black people are treated today, the Irish were treated, you know, a generation ago and black people are treated worse then. But and the Irish took it out on them. They sure did. In that that riot. Yep. Oh, my God. The draft riots are, are, are hideous. Mm hmm. But but like what I always heard was that first it was called paddy wagon because that was where they would throw the Irish when they rounded them up and took them in. But years later, by the 20th century, the Irish were the cops, right? I mean, I always thought that years later, paddy wagon referred to when those Irish cops come get you and throw you away. So could you make the argument that it's both an ethnic stereotype while at the same time a a version of cultural empowerment? 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, some the same could be said with a lot of other words that I will not repeat on this show that can be said <laughs> not said by me and but can be said by those in that culture because that is not my place to say. And if it is a it it is well again like the term patty was co- you know used by the Irish, co opted by those that didn't like the Irish, and then sort of reclaimed by the Irish. So I mean, there's no reason why that can't happen. So, uh, but again, this is this is one of the phrases that I have to say is is on the lighter side of shit you can't say because honestly uh there is a lot of gray area here you know and 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 even like like you said the history uh some say that the paddy wagon is because it's a a, a pd wagon so right. they just say a pd wagon a put it put it put a wagon <laughs> just kind of you know just it's a game of telephone where it's like i don't know what he said patty i don't know paddy wagon uh this is also a fun time to note that saint patty's day you spell it with d's not with t's because yes. patty is short for uh, Patrick, which is uh, P-A-D-R-A-I-G, which is the Irish version of Patrick. So ah. it's technically Patty, not Patty with T's. Just I didn't know, know that. I thought oh. they were interchangeable. I thought they were interchangeable. I had no idea. Uh, I mean, they are like the words are interchangeable. I mean, you can, if you want to do St. Patty's Day with T's, like I'm not going to, you know, hunt you down. Cause that's <laughs> ridiculous. Like I've got better things to do, I, I hope. But it is frowned upon to use it with the T's uh, by you know- those that are in the know. Yeah. And listen, I mean, you never know who's going to be offended by this and, and who's who's going to, you know, laugh it off, which I respect, you know, all sides. Um, I know in the 90s in L.A., the police department tried to have a program to bring drunk people home on St. Patrick's Day because yes. they wanted to stop DUIs. You remember this? And mm-hmm. so they would put people into a police wagon that they called the paddy wagon and they set up a phone number for people who wanted to ask for rides. And no lie. It was 1-880-PADDY with two Ds, Natalia, two Ds. They got it right. But they got (laughs) so many complaints from Irish Americans living in the L.A. area that after a few years, they changed the name to the Party Wagon. (laughs) Which has a whole... No, I've spent a lot of time... Well, we have party buses here, but in Central America, the party buses are no joke. Uh, So (laughs) when I feel Party Wagon, I'm sorry, that just... How disappointing when they're like you get on the party wagon and it's like give me your give me your booze give me all your drugs this is this is a sober wagon <laughs> the struggle is real Natalia the struggle, the struggle is real is real oh, it's so we bad. are yeah. taking your calls at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight eight six six nine nine seven grit I love that you this is your word because so often these are you know I mean I've been amazed that so many of the problematic words we throw around in English really do refer overwhelmingly to indigenous people and the, mm-hmm. you know, the ethnic cleansing of natives. But uh, this is a fun one. So thank you. This is, yeah, I was going to say, because uh, honestly, nobody's getting hurt with this one. You know, when it's uh, those that are from marginalized communities, disenfranchised, that is when you really have to question, hey, should we really be saying this? I think the Irish are going to be okay if you say paddy wagon. Let me ask you another question. for all of them. Let me ask you completely unrelated. You are so prolific with these videos you post, and most of your videos deal with science uh, in in very brilliant ways. You are a scientist who happens to be a comedian. You're a comedian who happens to be a scientist. And you know I'm (laughs) such a fan of how you you combine science and comedy uh, in in great ways, the opposite of how I combine like religious stuff and comedy. But what you do inspires me, and you make so many videos. I can't believe how funny your videos are. And you just made one about the the Last of Us, timed, I guess, for the finale, which uh, happened during the Oscars. I, I just saw the finale yesterday. Finally, what did you uh, what did you think, and what inspired this video? 
Well, I, well, first of all, I love the show. I love the the concept of looking at a post-apocalyptic world uh, and understanding what could cause such a such a you know catastrophic event in terms of illness. I think they I think the creators were really um, I don't know. I think they got to they picked a really good illness that could spread. And even though it's, um, and we'll get to that, what, what it is in a second, even though it's far-fetched, I think it's really smart. And it, it, it I think it gives everybody the heebie-jeebies because they know that this could probably actually happen. And I, yeah. it also the deja vu of like, wait a minute, this feels so familiar. Like, oh, oh yeah, we went through that three years ago where we thought the world was going to end. Uh, yeah. As far as the series finale, I, I mean, or the season finale, I, I really did enjoy it. I, I do feel... It's it's I, mean, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but that their relationship is so beautiful. And, you know, I'm interested to see how it, it continues in the next season. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, for like- those who don't for those who don't know, the show is about Pedro Pascal uh, shepherding a child with special powers through a dangerous world. Uh, it's a radical idea for a for a show on cable. Right. <laughs> Seriously, like that. That talk about typecasting. He's just like yeah. you know, if if you were a child the that needs to be shepherd, yeah, the, right. Fungalorian. Oh, oh, oh how sales? How dare you? Uh, but but let, let me ask you about the science of it. It, it is a zombie yes. show with with very little zombies, and it's it's got a very interesting format. Instead of having zombies every week, they'll introduce humans with really complicated backstories and kill them horribly. If you, <laughs> as soon as you care about a character on this show, that you know that character's red shirt on Star Trek, they are gone. Yeah, it's it's painful. Yeah, and so the actual disease, and that's interesting. They they didn't call them zombies on set; they called them the infected, and they are infected, and that's infected. an interesting way. To, to keep the humanity of the people that they're actually trying to escape or kill. Basically, these are, are um, affected by cordyceps and cordyceps are a fungus that actually exist in real real life. Like they actually are That's around us question. all the time. Yes. Yes. So there's it, cordyceps is a genus of fungus and there's already um, over 400 species within this genus and they can affect they actually each species affects a specific insect and it takes over their body and in some cases their brain and then basically uses their body to grow itself uh, to actually create make the insect go to a certain place an ideal place for a fungus to grow and then eventually sprout from the insect's noggin or bar- parts of it bo- of its body and then it basically disperses its spores to only infect more so unlike this the is the most us, horrifying thing i've ever yes heard of and you just explained it more terrifyingly than the show does yeah it's a zombie it's, it's a zombie fungus essentially it creates these zombie ants moths butterflies caterpillars all different species of insect but the thing is they need a very uh, a much cooler host humans are just too hot bodied we're too we're too hot so but there's the idea of oh well if they adapt to you know a a warming climate like climate change could they potentially infect humans um interestingly enough the ophio uh cordyceps that affects the the zombie ant fungus that actually does not affect their brain it affects their body but not their brain so which is an interesting thing to think about like if there was a cordyceps that could affect That's humans even... what if what if you had the brain power to know what you were doing but you couldn't stop it it's a nightmare you know? oh That's terrifying a nightmare. terrifying Chris, you want to yeah. weigh on on this? Because I'm completely skeeved out. So those realizing, if you haven't um, seen the show, this show deals with this fungus that infects people. They're not zombies. They're called infected like they're called in 28 Days Later. And have you ever seen The Girl with All the Gifts, uh, Natalia, with Glenn Close? No. That's a British British zombie film okay. that did the same thing a few years ago. The Girl with All the Gifts. And it was a, a, a giant fungus that was turning people into zombies to take over the world. Yeah. 
Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, good stuff. I, Chris, I, you I, wanted to say so, this is yeah, Chris. I'm creepy. very curious about your thoughts. Well, the two two things. Two things. One, they may need cooler hosts, but isn't the average human body temperature dropping? Isn't it usually in like ninety seven point six right now? Not ninety. Yeah, it's yeah. it's actually yeah, and um, that's yeah. An athlete's foot, or you know, we get fungus on our bodies. Uh, it just is in the cooler places. I mean, imagine if athlete athlete's foot oh, could can you imagine? do what the cordyceps could. <laughs> can you imagine if we got undone by athlete's foot? Oh, Tanactin, where just, are you? <laughs> right, we just kick people furiously. So I will share this. I learned this today. Um, the creator of the video game that this is based on. Uh, his original idea yes. for the for the game was that uh, the game was going to be called Mankind, and the Cordyceps virus was going to have only infected women, and it was going to have eliminated all of the women on Earth and left a society of men, and and Ellie was going to be the one woman who was immune somehow. And then when he was workshopping it around the software company, a lot of the women in the office were like, what is this misogynist piece of shit idea? <laughs> and then they were like, listen. And then he's like, well, what if I, uh, you're right. What if I changed it? And then that's the game that ended up coming out. Wow. Chris, I had so, no idea. I had no book. idea. <laughs> that is terrible. I've I mean, had it with I these woke zombies. Right, exactly. Oh my God. Well, that episode a couple weeks ago where there was a moment where Ellie could have been preyed upon by a man, and I had like such a mama bear reaction where I was like, oh, you better not touch, you know, like that would be a, a, a nightmare situation, honestly. <laughs> All who's left is a 14 year old yeah. girl. No, no. Oh man. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a terrifying idea. It's grown on it, me. This show. Mm hmm. Yeah. It, it has grown on me over the weeks. Uh, you know, in the beginning, I just thought, oh, this is so brutal. And it's just people dying and, and, and just dying and dying. But boy, man, it's, there's something about it that's compelling. And I keep going back week after week for, for more. And again, not not that many zombies. No. No, the infected are actually <laughs> few and far between on the show. Sorry. I keep calling them the infected. I keep correcting you. Uh, and also, before I forget, humans <laughs> No, the, actually you're right. They are. They are. They are the infected. I want to. I want to be a pro. I want to. I want to be. Yeah, horrifically correct. For for your you know listeners at home, just so you know, the jokes on the cordyceps because humans actually eat cordyceps, like around the world. Uh, they, they become like a new health food. Uh, like you know, the Gwyneth Paltrow's, the Goops of the world love their cordyceps. They even have cordyceps <laughs> gummies, not those kind of gummies. That would be far cooler but um, yeah, just so you know, because uh, that would be I would be a real kind of sneak way of getting us. We think we're getting high, but we're just getting hijacked, you know? <laughs> I think the next zombie... Natalia Reagan... ...caused by Ozempic, I think, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be caused by Pete Buttigieg, guys. Watch more Tucker. He'll explain it. Natalia, how do our listeners follow you and see all your videos? This new one on The um, Last of Us is great. Thank you. Uh, so on Instagram, it's Natalia13Reagan. Same with TikTok. I'm sorry, same with uh, Twitter. TikTok is Behold Natalia. Uh, I have a show coming up on March 20th, if you're in Los Angeles, at the Oaks Tavern. 7 30 p.m and then i'm opening up for house sparks on the 25th at flappers so just follow me and you can come right see on. me perform thanks Natalia reagan thank you so much as always for joining us we'll see you next time we'll be right back with your calls this is progress i'm john fiegel saying this is sirius xm progress let's go to the phones y'all been waiting for a while may in colorado hi Oh, hi there. Can you hear me? I sure can. Hi. 
Oh, good. Hi there. John, Hello. I really want to love you. Hi. Hi. You know, I'm, I listen to you, and I really want to love you, but anytime you give more credence to anyone that is espousing part of the party line of the, the organized religion that is Christianity, you become right. part of the problem, my friend. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, I kind of view it a different yeah. way, but tell me. Go ahead. I know you do, but I listened to that, and you guys talked about women's roles or non-roles or whatever roles. You know, this is all made up by a patriarchal system in mm-hmm. order to keep people down, mm-hmm. and who cares what they thought of women because it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. But you think of it as if there's some seriousness to it. And yeah, I, I take a different angle than you. give more credence. Yeah, I know I, you do, and I've listened yeah. to you long enough to, to weigh and measure that because I really, as an anthropology major, as a person that studies cultures have some level of respect but once again you speak continuously of this as if there is an isness a realness to it and you don't really look at it within the the aspect of the social the political no i do no i do absolutely horrific way that women are seen in that way yeah 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 no listen about it so yes may i take great pains i take great pains to separate organized religion from the teachings of the character of jesus in this book because they are two dramatically different things for me, for me, I was raised by Christian people who had been deep into this. My mother was a nun, and before she died, she yeah. came to call the convent a cult for her experience. She she wound up believing it was a cult. But I did grow up around mm-hmm. a lot of religious people who were deeply progressive, who cared about the poor, who cared about the less fortunate. I, I think some people use religion to be better people. They don't need it, but some do. But I think a lot of people use religion to pretend they are better people and to use their presumed virtue to be shitty and pretend they're better than you. And fundamentalists are my problem. The whole religion is a fairy tale, first off. It is written by many, many hands over many period of time. I agree. It's all many, many. It's telephone tag. Patriarchy. Yes. All all men. Okay. So, okay, so how can you then separate and say, well, cherry pick and some parts of these are good and some parts of these. I get the parts that are the revolutionary, the Jesus parts, but the rest of it, you just keep giving more and more credence to. And all it is. No, is I, 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 the only Jesus parts of a religious no, aspect. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I do that all day. Listen, you don't know how much mm-hmm. religious people despise me. Uh, what I said earlier no, was St. Paul, no, St. Paul is the right wing woman hating guy that they try to pin all of these Jesus teachings on. The character of Jesus is not in any way some kind of patriarchal figure. He's the biggest feminist in the book. But here's the point of view I have. If if I go to these people and I tell them that everything you believe is bullshit, okay, uh-huh. they're going to shut down and never listen to me. I respect where you're coming from, May. May, May, May. I respect, I respect where you're coming from, but there's different but ways to do it. To them no, I'm to kowtowing to nobody. Oh, no, May, my dear. The fairy tale is they believe in. May, with love, I count out in no one. Number one, I have to remind you that faith is not a one-size-fits-all thing, and not everyone who follows Christianity or Islam or Judaism is a literalist. Some people follow these faiths for cultural reasons, or they love their parents, or they like Christmas or Hanukkah or what have you, but not everyone is a literalist. Most people who claim to be Christian in this country... What is their true religion if you're following it because you like the... The, the meals that come with it or the gatherings that come with it. 
I mean, come on. You know well, what? Well, for a lot of people, that's what it is. Okay. For a lot of people, that's but what it is. And I've known, I've known nice people of all religions. I've known progressive people who are Muslim, progressive people who are Jews, progressive people who are Christians, and they're not the ones fucking with people. They're not the ones putting the screws to marginalized groups. They're not the ones making women second-class citizens. It's always the fundamentalists of all the world's religions that are causing the wars, committing the atrocities against women, committing the atrocities against LGBT people, condoning violence when it's helping my side. I am very, very distinct about nice religious people, fundamentalist Muslims, Christians, and Jews, who I blame for all the problems in the world. But John, I will always John, separate the... Inc- you, Let me finish my sentence. I love you okay. too, but the incredible... You gotta incredib- get over it. You gotta get over it. That's I'm not like getting over there, it. There's maggot light. And we just, there's moderate Republicans. May, I'm not saying what I believe in. I'm saying what's in the book, May. Truth and decency and surviving as a culture without fascism. There is no slight anything. Organized religion of all sorts has absolute patriarchy that backs it up. And I know. Against I'm women. agreeing with you. And you actually need to be get on board with that, or you are not any sort of liberal that cares anything about this. When you keep having people on, and God bless her soul, she's sitting there talking about, well, women were actually represented. Who, who gives a fuck, okay? You know, Lily Well, I, I give a fuck, and that's why I invited her on, May. Here's the facts. May, but here's the facts. There are millions and yeah, millions funny. of... There are millions of people in this country who identify as religious. And there's many, there's millions who identify as spiritual because they're fed up with the hypocrisies of men in dresses and funny hats that make up religion. Those people we need as allies to build coalitions. I'm not into making enemies out of them. That's just my kink. That's how I proceed. If I come out and tell someone that everything you believe is bullshit, I've made an enemy, they're not going to listen to a thing I say, I respect that's where you're coming from. What I do, the choice I make in fighting fascism, I take their fucking camouflage away because that's what we do here. We're in the camouflage removal business and these evil antichrist fascists dress themselves up and talk tabernacles and pretend to be spiritual none of them have read the fucking bible and what i do on this show on stage what i do in social media in print i take them on and i say okay trump supporter you cannot follow christ and trump at the same time show me one teaching of jesus in this book you claim to follow at no point, May, am I saying that people have to believe anything is literal fact. I say in the book you claim to follow, the book we all agree on, the book that's been this global game of telephone tag for centuries where men have rewritten and rewritten and told orally and then Latin, Greek, translated to Hebrew and English. Show me but one teaching of Jesus that, that justifies voting for the Republican Party. May, I'm going to use I am going to use their religion to call out their hypocrisy. That's what I do. And that's what our guest did as well. She was talking about how these misogynist Christians who are making all these anti-abortion laws, anti-birth control, persecuting women any way they can. And they do it in the guise of spirituality. I'm saying fuck that. My way of fighting it is to say, I'm going to take that Bible away from you, motherfucker. And you're not going to have that to hide behind. You've just got to go out there and hate women and try to pass it off as a policy. That's it. I'm on your side. I'm on your side 100%. Well, it's not going to work work for you. You You can't primrose the delicate. No, May, I'm not going to convince any of them. May, I don't don't think. Religion is a cult. Okay, but here's the deal. I'm not going to sway any of those cult members. And I'm not so naive to think that I can use scripture against these godless motherfuckers and convince them that they're hypocrites. But I will sway their kids. 
and I will sway their wives and I will sway the bystanders because I don't debate in the vacuum and I will sway the people who are listening because we can't afford to marginalize progressivism anymore. I will take people of any faith if they're there to fight for Medicare for all, if they're there to fight for women's reproductive rights, if they're there to fight for dignity for orphans and children and immigrants. I'm on the side of whatever the progressive values are and whatever makes for a more decent, loving society. So I will welcome believers of any faith there, but I'm not going to count to them, and I'm not going to let anyone use their holy book and pretend that gives them license to be dicks to people. All I'm doing is the same thing as you. I'm just calling out the hypocrisy scripture by scripture. That's the world I was raised in, and I know it, and I use it against them. I respect you. So when we slide right on into fascism, because this intellectualism... It'll be all my fault, yes. When we're fascist, when we're fascist, it's going to be my fault, because I actually use Jesus against the fascists. We can't have these kinds of little namby-pamby, let's over-intellectualize this. I'm not over-intellectualizing anything. Black and white. You were May fascists use religion. We, you know, May fascists use religion. Machiavelli said you have to pretend to be religious. They use it. They're going to use yes, it no matter what you and I say or do. Opiate Donald Trump is not a Christian. Yeah. George W. Bush didn't yeah, fight for a single thing. This brown skinned Nazarene homeless mystic faith healer talks about in this book. None of them really believe the holy book, but they use it to get power. I am going to use the book against them in their quest to get power. That's what I do. And it's not me saying that you have to believe in any part. Tell them it's fiction. Tell them it's fiction. Tell them it's story time with lovely little parables and such. But it's what do you care how I what do you care what I tell them? I'm not going to. You're a literalist and you then validate. I'm not a literalist. I'm not a literalist at all. And speak about these stories. As if there's some realness to it, and all of it is about how women are subjugated. Oh, but look, there's a little part of it that says women are okay, and we should give them a little something. I mean, come on. I mean, that is you. That's not what I said. You're completely. Listen, with respect, what I was saying was, and what my guest was saying was, because it's Women Histories Month, these people use religion to subjugate women. What she was saying was, they can't use this character of Jesus to subjugate women. They are hypocrites and frauds. It's one thing to call them out and say your whole book is bullshit and i respect that's your take and i will back you up on it go for it i'm your ally i love it i'm going to go a different way because i was raised the way i was raised and i know this book very well and i would rather go after them by saying you don't follow respect or believe this book you claim to follow you need to understand that you were also and you still tenuously hold on to that cultish mentality and you need to understand that you are hating me as much as a fundamentalist christian it's she just hung up on us. I get it from the I get it from the militant atheists. I get it from the militant Christians. I think some of the best Christians I know are atheists, but I respect where she's coming from. I'm sorry she had to hang up on us in the end. I guess. I mean, I just feel like the point that's missing, and I say this as a person who uh, weirdly went to Catholic school and uh, is not remotely Catholic or religious in any way, but. It's not until that the people like yourself or Diana Butler Bass, like it's all about like religion is a cult or organized religion is the way it is because of the people who are in charge, who get to determine how things are interpreted and the way things are, are perceived. Mm-hmm. And it's and unless you unless you keep working to try and change the way that those uh, books are perceived and interpreted, then it's never going to change. 
That's what and I'm never doing. Gonna, and, you, and you're never going to be able to eliminate it because the, because the people that hold on to it uh, use it for so much power and wealth. And so exactly. Exactly. And again, they're going to use religion. The fascists are going to use Jesus and Christianity no matter what. I'm interested in letting everyone know, whoever's around, that those arguments are bullshit and they can't hide behind the Bible. But I do want to say to May's point, Chris, um, when the fascists do take over, it will be my fault. I, I'm just, you know, I was I was raised Catholic. I'm, I'm very ready to blame Look, myself when that happens. I, I saw Jonathan Chait today on Morning Joe. And his, his new column is uh, the Republicans aren't fascist, but they're getting a little fashy. They're fashier than they used to be. And like he I mean, now, now that's the intellectualism and that's the semantic argument and the granular stuff that's doing no good. That's what yeah. he's really getting into. It's not. I know this. It's the people who are like, well, technically, by the definition, Donald Trump is not a fascist because he hasn't done anything bad yet, per se. <laughs> and it's like, I would okay. say technically Donald Trump's not a fascist because he doesn't believe in anything. It's he's just a thug and it seems like fascism because he's surrounded by people who are like that. But yeah. I think I thought I almost had May. I thought I almost had her, Chris. Oh, did you? I thought I, I almost think, had her. There's I don't a minute. Think so. There's a minute there where I thought she's really she's understanding that I'm I'm I doing the same so. thing she's doing from a different angle. But yeah. There was a minute where I thought, oh, this is May's show now. I know. Look, this is what I get. I get uh, most atheists are groovy and I get along great and I love atheists. I believe in them. And like I said, they tend to be more Christian. But uh, there's militant atheists who uh, will hate what I do. And there's militant conservatives and fundamentalist Christians who really hate what I do. And I don't hate them back. And that's the trick. 